This is the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. And this week, we're running down some questions, kind of our biggest questions of the offseason. Last week, we talked about who would become Russell Wilson's favorite target in 2019. And this week, we're going to be focused on some of the questions to do with the pass rushers, with the front seven of the Seahawks defense. And joining me to talk about it once again, Clinton Bonner, contributor to the Seahawkers podcast and also co-creator of TNT Dynamite Thursdays, a, a sketch comedy show on YouTube. Clinton, how are you doing? Doing awesome, Brandon. Thank you for the the early love to TNT Dynamite Thursdays. Certainly appreciate that and always welcome the opportunity to come and talk about our Hawks. But doing awesome, man. Thank you. One of the questions of the offseason, especially with the departure of Frank Clark, that I know mm-hmm. a lot of Seahawks fans are concerned about and asking is where are the sacks? Where are the quarterback pressures going to come from from this defensive line in 2019? Because when you lose a guy like Frank Clark, looking at pro football focus numbers, number 11 overall in pass rush productivity in 2018. And one of those guys that just was steadily climbing from his rookie season. You know, when you lose a guy who means that much to your defense, where's that going to come from? Yeah, the the, uh, the million dollar question this year, right, for the pass rush. And for the folks out there listening, we did a reaction podcast uh, right after the trade. And I was really distraught. And I still have this beautiful Frank Clark portrait that you got me when you guys are over in the UK that's still here. And I just I can't bear to take it down just yet. It's too it's too gorgeous, you know, too many good memories. Um, I look back, and I know they got a haul, right? My, the logic side of my brain says, they got a haul for Frank Clark and they they probably traded him at the right time given what they got to go do with Reed, given what they got to go do with Wagner and hey, there's a salary cap. However, the emotional side of me still says, I think we traded a Hall of Famer. Mm. With that, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure there's a, there's a go-to answer just yet uh, versus it being a bit, a bit of a compilation, bit a bit of like this player ensemble. Maybe it's more like a Reservoir Dogs type thing or, you know, just some, some cast of characters, like the, the usual suspects that come together to, to be, uh, you know, to be something that, that we're just not ready for, just not, not expecting. So out of the gate, I don't have one to pluck out of the hat and say, oh yeah, there's 13 and a half sacks. That's where it comes from. Um, so my, my quick, my quick answer is to say, I'm going to punt. I'm going to defer and say, <laughs> what, what do you think out of the gate? Is there, is there some folks to stand out? What excites you that, you know, the, the off season moves so far to say, okay, yeah, we can make up for this pass rush and, and be as efficient as we were last year. Well, we do know that pass rush productivity is important to Pete Carroll because he's he's talked about it in those terms. Productivity, not necessarily sacks, right. but the uh, amount of pressure you can consistently get on a quarterback. And I went back over the past years since 2012, because really, to me, the, the point of demarcation for the Seahawks was that loss to Atlanta when they mm. lost Chris Clemens. There really wasn't much of anything uh, yeah. uh, beyond his pass beyond what you were getting from Clemens in 2012. You know, and we decided to play pre-bet defense for God knows what right. reason, reason in the last two minutes of the game right. too. Like let's, let's, let's not forget the mistake that they made sure they didn't repeat in 2013. That was also part of it. So Correct. in 2013, they go out, they get Michael Bennett, they get Cliff Averill, they get some, some other pieces on the defensive line and looking at the pro football focus stats, they went from number 12 in the NFL to number one in the NFL 
from 2012 to 2013. And that number one position is really what helped propel them in that Super Bowl season in 2014. Once again, in the top five, number three overall in the league, you know, again, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill. And that's even losing some of those pieces after the 2013 season, like Clinton McDonald. Heck yes. And, and I, I still, you know, for in my brain, if Cliff Averill stays healthy throughout the whole Super Bowl in 2014, we yeah. probably win that, game, win that game. Right? He, when he went out that changed the game so much. So it is so freaking important not to use Russell Wilson's middle, other middle name there, but it is so <laughs> important for us to be able to get back to some level of consistency. So, I mean, I think the first place we have to maybe look is the first round of the draft and say, Hey, you know, we took Collier for a reason, right? We talk about, I loved, um, what's the, uh, the movie with stone hands, you know, the, the fantastic, uh, the <laughs> Kathy Ireland and the unnecessary roughness. Yes. Yes. Necessary roughness, <laughs> necessary, necessary roughness. roughness right? And they had the guy stone hands who was a receiver, which is not a great name for a receiver. Of course, <laughs> right. and you got the whole, don't throw it to stone hands, <laughs> but everything you read about Collier, LJ Collier is like, this dude has like, you know, Manos de Pietros, right? He's got like hands and fists of stone where he just has those heavy hands. He gets, he gets his paws on you and he just moves you. Um, different, certainly a different type of player than Clark, but, but man, oh man, like, you know, the more tape you watch Collier and, and he just seems like that Seahawky type of guy. So if we're looking for that obvious, you know, Hey, well, the Seahawks believe this, otherwise he wouldn't have been the first rounder. But I think Collier has to be one we talk about pretty much out of the gate here and say, okay, I, I don't expect a dude like that year one to come in and be like a double, you know, double digit sack guy. It just doesn't happen that often. But if we're talking about compiling pressure and just being consistent with, with getting, you know, just creating these kind of, uh, these kind of pressures on the quarterback and not, not the type of pressures where things break down, the dude gets a sack, but he's the reason the quarterback is fleeing the pocket, right? He's, he's the, he's the one who's the catalyst for the quarterback to have to get out of where he was supposed to go with the ball or, you know, leave, leave a sequence early. I am excited about seeing what Collier can do because he does look like just a dude who could just move people. He doesn't look that pretty. He doesn't look that fast, but he looks really strong. He looks like NFL big man strong. So I am super excited to see what the heck happens, you know, just in a couple of weeks now. Well, I'm glad you brought up LJ Collier because, you know, he was the Seahawks first round pick this year, but in reality, you know, part of my reason for going back and looking at 2013 and looking at 2014 is because I was looking for the number of players that the Seahawks had, you know, right around in the top 100 in terms of NFL defensive linemen with top pass rushing productivity. And each of those two years, they in, in 2013, they had five guys in the top 100. In 2014, they they just about had five guys. They, they Their fifth guy was number 104 overall in terms of pass rush productivity. So and this was the rankings according to Pro Football Focus. So those two years were key to me. And I got to looking and 2018, I think it was just two. No, they had three guys last year in 2018. Frank Clark at number 11. They had Jaron Reed at number 62. And then in between those two guys, they had Jacob Martin at number 24, but it was only 184 attempts. So Jacob yeah. Martin, not on the field a ton, but still you got three players in that top 100. And in terms of the rankings, they drop all the way to number 26 in 2018. They've never been outside the, the top 20 since 2012. In fact, they've, they've ever since they made that turnaround in 2013, they had a top 10 defense uh, defensive line in terms of pass rush productivity. So I'm looking for five guys 
who can like the burger you want burgers yeah like five, yeah five guys <laughs> just five guys just the, the fries are delicious but you want you want five dudes who basically could get back into that top 100 ish yes. is what i'm hearing and we, and we lost you one know? of those guys we lost frank clark so right we need jacob martin to stay at least provide uh more snaps and if he can maintain that position now he doesn't have to be number 24 like that's pretty good Right. But if he can, when you double up his really good, let's, you know, let's, but, but it is a smaller sample size, but I think the possibility for Jacob Martin there is, you know, I don't know if those are like more, more garbagey. I don't think they are. I think he's still going against, you know, still going against ones and still, and still producing in limited sample size. But the cool part about like now in the NFL is that a dude it was like Fletcher Cox. He doesn't play like 500, 500 snaps. You know, he, he's, he's much more limited, but he's really effective during the time he gets. And that's the modern NFL when you could, when you can be deep. So, you know, if, if this is kind of getting to the path where Jacob Martin could be that, that kind of effective and, and maybe he doubles the amount of, you know, the amount of chance he gets, if mm-hmm. you just look at a straight math or more, you know, maybe 125% more, but can maintain somewhat that level of, of pass pressure. Um, that's pretty damn good. And it's also like a shock. That's like some dude that like, if you're not in the, in the PNW, you're not, you don't really know Jacob Martin just yet. You're not following who this guy is. And he's going to be a bit of a surprise, which is, which is really sweet to, to bring up to say, I'm with you too. I think he's one of those guys that just, that showed and he did it really under the radar. You know, it was, he just was, he was consistent when he had his opportunities. They were kind of few and far between, as as you you know talked about with the amount of of just snaps he was out there. But man, can he keep like eighty percent of that productivity, but one hundred and twenty five percent his snaps? And if he does, that probably lands him in your top one hundred. Like just doing like you know some back of the nap, napkin sketches. Maybe he's in the eighties at that point. Then, dude, you got three or five guys that are probably there. And another guy that you hope to continue to be there, who's still on the team going into the final year of his rookie deal, Jaron Reed, who was at number 62 last year. If you go back, you know, that's a pretty big improvement from his 2017 productivity, where he is right around 170 overall. So, you know, even if he slips a bit, because Jaron Reed had an outstanding season last year, even if he slips a bit, you know, to where he's still, you know, maybe in the 80s or 90s, you still have a guy that that's in that top 100. And uh, so now... Uh, you know, there's what three names that we've got. You know, if you if LJ Collier can contribute in his rookie year, you got Jacob Martin, Jaron Reed, but there's one other guy who is back on the Seahawks and maybe somebody who you wouldn't think as a top guy in terms of pass rush productivity, but a guy who's done it consistently over the last three years. And that's Cassius Marsh, who is number 54 overall last year in 2018 go back to 2017 he was number 85 go back to 2016 with the Seahawks he was number 80 so a guy who's consistently been in the top 100 over the past three years you're not saying that he has to go out and ball out you're saying be who you are and continue to produce at the level you have been in the past and you have another guy that that can be that player who's putting the pressure on the quarterback so I'm going to admit right now, you just blew my mind with, with straight math right there. Right. So I did, you know, I look at Cassius as almost like a Jag, like not a Jaguar, just like, just a guy like, okay, he's, he's pretty good. And listening to the, uh, the, the better rivals podcast you recently did with Oscar. Right. And he goes into like, all right, yeah, you know, we got, yes, they replaced with Bosa. You know, like, okay. You know, we, we get that. He, but, he was not sad to see Cassius Marsh go. 
Yeah, but but you know that that stat, and I love this idea of like trying to compile, like trying to Rafael Palmera our way to like five out of a hundred or five out of a hundred and four ish. That's pretty cool. I like that that concept of trying to get there. If you had told me like, hey, Cassius Marsh was, you know, or or asked me to lay down some money if Cassius Marsh was in there, I'd be like, no, no, probably not. He's 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 not that consistent. He's not that good. But I know he had, you know, what did he have five or six sacks last year? I don't know about you. If if we if I can get five and a half sacks, five and a half from Cassius Marsh right now, right now, today, and be like, hey, that's gonna what that's what he's gonna get in this season, and he's gonna be healthy all year and be, you know, be a contributor in the regular season. I take five and a half sacks and, and, and a full season of, of play from Cassius right now. I'm not looking for that dude to be a eight, nine, 10 sack guy. I'm not sure he can get there. That's just, that's just my take. Do you, do you think he has a higher ceiling? I think, I think his ceiling is six, seven, but his floor might be four or five. He just might be, like you said, who he is. And he just, he hasn't been a huge guy in terms of sacks. Like you mentioned, five and a half uh, so rounded up to six for 2018, go back to 2017 when he played between new England and San Francisco, he had three. Uh, and then that 2016 season with Seattle, he had three, but again, we're not necessarily looking at sacks. We're looking right. at the, the, the getting pressure on the quarterback. And I think maybe that's why you look at a guy and, and say, you know, Cassius Marsh, just a guy, because he isn't, he isn't the guy getting home, but he is the guy who's at least getting consistent pressure. Uh, well, you know what? You're you're making me a believer on Cassius. <laughs> I am more fired up now about Cassius Mars than I've ever been as a Seahawks fan. So that's so good job by you. I, I'm looking forward to watching his pressures and kind of tracking that now. One one piece that I think I'm I'm a little surprised in a good way um, that we've gone this far into the, into this pod and we haven't uttered the term Puna. We haven't talked about Puna yet. We haven't right? talked so, about Puna, and you know. There's another person we haven't talked about, and and maybe yeah. I saved that. But yeah, Puna Ford is one of those guys, especially in the interior. I think of him more as the interior uh, run stopper type of guy. But we did see last year that he could he could get into the backfield too. And you know, and you mentioned like, hey, Reed might not have that kind of year again. He might not be in the 60s. I don't know, man. Like if if Puna has a full year with Reed. And those are the two dudes. And yes, there's other players we're probably gonna we're probably gonna get to that are right there in the middle too. To that, yes, primarily they're supposed to be run stoppers. I get that, but Puna Ford is a player. Like I think as soon as we got him from as a UFA, people people were jumping off saying like, oh my gosh, like I cannot believe this guy was not drafted. He was he was like an obvious UFA and a huge huge pickup, and he proved he proved it out. He's he had a really really solid rookie season. So when you say I'm not sure Reed, here's the thing: I'm not sure Puna cracks that top hundred, but I think Puna nearly ensures that Reed stays in that same range. Because I just think I just think Puna is that good of a player. And then we haven't talked about our linebacking core yet. I'm going to say that with the asterisks of Kendricks playing, you know, Kendricks, you know, just being free to go play. It's it's like baseball. You have a great catcher. You have a great shortstop and you have a great center fielder. You typically got a really good defense when it comes to baseball. Okay. Going back up the gut, you got two dudes up the middle who are super solid and you got a good linebacking core. All right. You know, like I feel really solid about, about what that team could be, um, you know, week in, week out. And I think Puna is going to be just a, a huge piece, a huge rock to why, why this team could, you know, outperform in 2019. Okay, well, you brought up some of the linebackers, maybe one of those guys that you fit in there 
And I'm going to put both of these guys in this position. And remember, we're, we're just looking for five guys. You threw out LJ Collier's name early on. We came up with four guys who have done it pretty consistently over the last few years. Now we have two guys who had a pretty amazing form in 2017, who were top 30 guys in terms of pass rush productivity, who got away from that form in 2018. Maybe you can count on them to get back to that 2017 form. Let's talk about those two names right after a quick break. All right, Clint. So two players we haven't brought up yet. Two guys. And we really only need one to go back to their pass rush productivity form that they showed in 2017. Barkevius Mingo, who was number 15 overall in terms of pass rush productivity in 2017 and the top free agent signing for the Seahawks this offseason, Ziggy Anza was number 26 that year. So, all right. You know, again, what we talked about, we, we didn't even talk about Poon until now. And we, we have yet to talk about the number one free agent signing for Seattle, which is Ziggy. Super, super excited about Ziggy. I think, I just think that one is as simple as, is he healthy? Right. You know, is he, does he have that strength in his shoulder? I think if that dude, he's, well, it's not even, I think he's shown when healthy, pencil him in, pencil him into that, you know, that top 25, top 30 disruptive. I love his story too. I love the fact that he, he started playing football so late, so, so late compared to others who of course play when they're toddlers essentially. And he's just that good of an athlete. He's just that powerful of a, of a dude. But I'm going to take some with Mingo with, you know, M-I-N-G-O. <laughs> I'm not too sure he makes the team, you know, so that that's a lot of money backed up into a dude. And, and I don't know, man, I like, how about this? I, I will counter that with, with the thought of what are they doing with Shaquem this year? Like, is, is Shaquem going to get a chance to play a bit differently? Is he going to cha- get, a, get a chance to get those pressures? Is he going to get a chance to kind of, you know, just be a kind of a flex player that's out there. And, you know, it's not going to be quite a Bruce Irvin role, but is he going to get a chance to just be unleashed and do what he probably can do best, which is just be fast, be off the edge and go, go try to go get the quarterback and be disruptive because, you know, we didn't see much of that Griffin last year, but what we did see from a pure linebacker standpoint and like coverage and, and like NFL type of uh, knowledge, albeit young dude, he can improve. But let's be honest, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. He had that one game versus the Broncos for the most part. And then he was kind of just out. He did not really get that chance to be a linebacker once again, right? And the other guy that I would throw in there, not the the fifth round pick, Shaquem Griffin, but the third round pick, Rasheem Green, going into his second year. And another young guy, you know, the youngest, really one of the youngest players in the NFL. And so can that guy continue to grow in the Seahawks system? When you're talking about rounding out kind of that bottom that could maybe get into the top 100, that's sure. a, another guy you can consider. I mean, we got some wild cards here. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't feel we're we're specifically grasping at straws. Although Mingo, to me, I don't th- I don't think he's going to be on the team. So that is a that is a straw that we're grasping, in my opinion. But Green went from being a dude in, and I understand the preseason is preseason. I understand who you're going up against sometimes, but he was getting his his reps a lot of times versus other teams, what I thought were other teams ones and certainly their twos. He was dominant in the preseason. 
And then he was like Kaiser Sosa. He like literally disappeared. Like the mug shattered. People were like, where did Green go? <laughs> he did nothing. Like very, very little. He did very right. little to show out last year to show that he can he can be a consistent NFL player and body. But I think the big point you make there is when you said it, he's one of the youngest dudes in the NFL. And that matters. You know, that matters. Like LJ Collier, I think, is what, 24, 20, 24, 25? He's older as as a rookie coming in, I believe. Yeah, LJ Collier, he will be 24 right about the start of the season. Rasheem Green, though, just 22 years old. He he turned 22 this May. That's a young pup. That's a young pup right there. So I think it was one of those flyers that Seattle looked at at, at the type and saw the skill set and said, you know, we can work with this. This is some wet clay. This is some Swayze into me. And we're going to, you know, unchain melody this thing until, <laughs> until he becomes a player. So he's got time. He's got some time, you know, so, so you know, sophomore season, let, let's hope he can make that leap and just not be a, a preseason hero because man, oh man, like he looked, he looked all the part and then he just kind of disappeared. So, but I, I love all that. I mean, I love this notion of of compiling five into that 100 range. I think it's super cool. There's some dudes on the edge there. There's some dudes on the edge. What about a surprise player? Is there some dude like we could stick with this five out of 100? Is there a surprise player that you're thinking about that either can sneak into this five of a 100, whether we said it or not yet, or just some dude that you think is going to outperform that many others just don't have on their radar, whether they're Seahawks fans or whether they're just NFL fans and not really paying attention to the Seahawks as much as we do. Well, I think the one surprise for me was talking about Jacob Martin so early. And he would be the one that if he can continue, you know, like you said, if you if you double his snaps from 2018 and he can still be in there, I think that's the surprise. Our veteran linebacker, Bobby Wagner, if we're going to bring linebackers into this, why, why not go with the dude who's uh, Madden rating? Is it number 99, you know, in 99, you right? know, the, the, the great one himself, just the Wayne Gretzky of Madden ratings. Right. And, you know, Ken Norton, Jr., you know, former linebackers coach, he's going to want to unleash the Bobby Wagner into the, to go after the quarterback, maybe a little bit more. So that that's one guy that I would throw out there. And why is why is Bobby Wagner's rating not higher than 99 is what I want to yeah. know. I don't understand why you just can't break barriers nowadays, right? This is this is a this is a movement type error. Why do we got to be capped at ninety nine? Why can't we go above that? And just go into the hundreds and, and the one hundred twos. I want to see that. I want you had five out of a hundred. You had five out of one hundred four. Why can't we get Wagner at one hundred four? I just I don't understand. I don't understand why why we got to cap our talent. I'm I'm with you on that. Now I would say when you have the kind of talent that is again Puna and Reed then it allows you to be more aggressive. It allows you to bring, bring other players, whether it's the front seven or some other dudes up to the line to try and cause that havoc, right? Because that's what you're after. You're, just, you're after havoc. Half of the NFL quarterbacks, maybe 16, 17, are quality quarterbacks. So they're good. The rest are, you know, I'm not going to say they're trash, but in, in comparison to the other guys, they're trash. You know, they're, they're not, they're not in, that, in that category. And then there's like the elites that don't get disrupted or can make plays when there's havoc in their face. That's only a couple dudes. And we, and by the way, we have one of them, the rest of the league, when you could cause that kind of havoc and typically it's up the gut havoc. Look at, look at Brady in two super, super bowls versus the giants. That was just internal guttural pressure that they just did not know how to handle. You could take the most elite quarterbacks and reduce them to, Oh, I don't know. 
Peyton Manning versus Seahawks in the Super Bowl where we, where we whooped him <laughs> on 43 to eight. So it, it's obviously possible, but I have a name for you. I have a name for you. All right. It has not been spoken Ooh, yet. Still not yet. Surprise name. Well, yes, yeah, so the, the, the surprise name to go back to is some dude that I think can outperform. This is a bit of a resurrection project, but Nas Jones. Oh, Nas Jones completely disappeared. And if you follow him on Twitter, he put up all these like emojis, like little like face, like, I don't know, like, I'm not sure why I'm not starting. Like literally like got into a doghouse, it seemed. But Nas Jones had a very, very productive rookie season. He was intense. He was making plays. He was, he had, he had tackles, you know, tackles for losses. He was disruptive. He was, he had a, I thought a very, very strong 2017 campaign for a rookie. And then he just, he went to the ether in 2018 and was basically benched. But, you know, they're talking about now with Puna there and being solidified. And of course we've got Al Woods and that they, they had Ruben in, you know, last week too. So who knows what they might do with, with Ruben, but they've got those dudes who will clog the middle. So is there an opportunity to maybe bounce Nas Jones around a bit and just make him a death player and get him some more opportunities to, to just do what he does well? So my gut kind of bold prediction is that by the time that this year's over, like halfway through the season, three quarters through the season, when we're hitting November and the, and the turkey's in the oven, Seahawks fans can be like, wow, Nas Jones is having a pretty damn good year and he's actually an impactful player. That's not only in my gut, but it's a hope. I think he's good, and I want to see his talent put to use. I knew there had to be something with that LJ Collier pick. You went there first. You're like Jamie Moyer. You you throw that that changeup early on, and then you you zip that fastball in at the end with Nas Jones. You know, it's not it's not a real fastball, but because of the changeup you threw, it you just smoked it right by me at the at the end with Nas Jones. I like it. I definitely, I definitely love the, <laughs> I've never been called Jamie Moore in my life, but now, <laughs> but, but I love, I love the concept. I love the man who could get on the mound and just bait you into swinging at some rubbish pitches out of the strike zone that you had no business swinging at. So, so I appreciate the, uh, the Jamie Moore analogy there that is, or maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe it's I'm a downgrade sure. because I, I probably could have gone Greg Maddox and that would have been, you know, hall of fame no, worthy. No, 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 you can't, you cannot go there. That's a, di- that's a different caliber. That's like, if you said Greg Maddox, I would, have, I would, have, I would have countered with maybe, maybe Steve Traxel, maybe Steve Traxel, a poor, poor man's, poor man's Maddox. Let's leave Maddox. And for that matter, Glavin out of the Jamie Warrior category. All right, Clinton. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. You know, I mentioned at the top of the show, TNT Dynamite Thursdays. Uh, that's a, a you're the co-creator of that. And that's something you've been doing for a little while now with one of your buds. Correct. Uh, UConn dude, I went to, uh, went to, well, UConn dude, I went to UConn with it to be a little bit repetitive, but it's a, it's sketch comedy. So if folks who ever grew up with like the state or like some Dana Carvey or just Chappelle or, you know, more recently like Andy Samberg, or if, I'm sure you have Netflix like everybody else, but there's a, a really good sketch comedy show called, uh, I think you should leave. Mm. That's, that's, that's a really cool uh, sketch comedy show, a little bit more off the wall than what we are, but in in the sense of just like putting out comedy for the sake for the sake of comedy like it's not topical it's, it's definitely not political we avoid all that crap it's just like you know what hopefully laughter for the sake of laughter but it's it's a passion project and we love doing it so anybody out there who wants to check it out best way is probably just youtube.com slash tnt dynamite thursdays please subscribe check it out and if you like it you know say hello or or public access in your area 
Correct. If you happen, <laughs> very, very salient point. If you happen to live in a small sliver of coastal Connecticut <laughs> and, and you want to watch things in standard definition with really bad audio, it is also on public access at really weird hours. And I'll tell you what they are. You can just, you just hit me up. So check out TNT Dynamite Thursdays. Check out fieldgoals.com. John Gilbert is focusing on the Seahawks rookies reporting to camp this week and also four rookies who were placed on the physically unable to perform list. Marquise Blair, Ben Burkirvan, Demarcus Christmas and Phil Haynes. John also writes about how Jaron Reed owes a big thank you to Grady Jarrett of the Falcons, who just signed a four year, $68 million deal to stay on with Atlanta. You know, Jaron Reed going into the final year. He's going to be looking for one of those big deals and another one to check out run defense, something we didn't get to in the show, Clinton, but uh, Kenneth Arthur taking a look at the Seahawks offseason with regard to run defense. Nice to know that Ken's got to cover. That was definitely a topic we, we may still cover, you know, because we haven't got there yet. But it's it's an intriguing one. I think I think we got some good possibilities to be quite improved from uh, from where we were last year. And I think with that, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.